Hi, I'm Brooke Boney. Welcome to Tales of Sydney, a podcast from City of Sydney, where we explore what's living in your neighbourhood. With our booming population and busy city lives, we often think of Sydney siders as human residents only. But what about the ones we can't see or don't count? The hidden inhabitants that walk, crawl or fly amongst us. Bailey's the employee of the month at the National Maritime Museum. In fact, he's been employee of the month pretty much every month since he was hired. Come on, Bailey, go. With the birds. That's because Bailey's a dog. How can anyone compete with that? Today I'm taking you into the world of doggos. We'll see how they can change people's lives for the better and what the history of the Zodiac can tell us about what it means to be born in the year of the dog. But let's get back to the assistant director of Seagulls. I went to chat to his handler one sunny afternoon. Hi, I'm Adrian. Uh, we're at the Australian National Maritime Museum with Bailey Haggerty, the uh, seagull chasing dog. So why is Bailey here? Uh, Bailey's here to chase seagulls for us. Uh, We've had issues with seagulls making a mess of the place, uh, ruining our vessels. So he's here to assist uh, scare off the seagulls. And where did the idea come from? Like, did you try other things first? I mean, was the was the dog the first <laughs> first port of call? No. So we've tried CDs, water sprayers, uh, fake eagles, that kind of thing. Uh, I did some research into what was best to get rid of birds after trying and failing so often. And the airport seemed to use bird, uh, dogs to chase birds off, obviously to uh, stop them ending up in aeroplanes. So same sort of concept, get rid of birds, uh, but obviously different end uh, result. And is it the chasing as well as the barking? I mean, do they, do they know now that when he kind of sounds the siren that, that it's time for them to clear out? It is, yeah. It's a lot of the barking and, you know, you can hear him now. He just doesn't stop. So they don't <laughs> like the sound. Um, and just when he does come down, you know, they, they just don't like. He's a predator, so him being here is, is enough for them as well. And is that why you chose the Border Collie? Because they, they do have those skills, those stalking skills, and, and you know, they can shepherd and, and, and herd the birds off if to they be need honest, to? No. We chose Border Collie because that's what my boss liked. <laughs> so it could have very well been a chihuahua out here. Well, I've got a chihuahua, so it could have been a chihuahua. But, um, no, we knew he knew that uh, Border Collies were great working dogs, and the airports do use Border Collies. Um, we were looking at whippets because around the time when we got Bailey, whippets were in the media and all that. Um, but we ended up going with a border collie. He seems pretty happy. What sort of personality does he have? Oh, he's a loving personality. As a, he, he's a bit of a sook, um, very kind-natured, very, very gentle with people. But um, he has that real work attitude. Yeah, I was giving him a bit of a cuddle before and I noticed that some of the kids were as well. Like, that must be a fun part of the job for him. It is, yeah. He loves the kids. We've got a lot of kids' activities on weekends and school holidays here and he's part of that usually. We do a walk around with uh, Bailey for half an hour or so every day and get to meet all the kids and that, they just love that. Even events, if we have events down here, they can request Bailey to come along to the events and see Bailey and Aww. they love that. That's lovely. And in terms of like the, the cost benefit for you guys, I mean, how much money um, or effort or, you know, can it be quantified, the, the amount of work that he's doing? Look, it can't be so much quantified, but it, it allows our staff to focus on their actual duties of working on vessels rather than having to clean up after birds. 
So their their job is actually, you know, to maintain the vessels and do work on the vessels to keep them afloat and keep them able to be visited by our paying guests. Um, and before they had to spend so much time on cleaning, which is not really their job. While Bailey is one hard-working dog, there are thousands of dogs in the city that people love. Dog owners are mad for their doggos, and you can see just why if you head down to your local dog park. But what makes dog owners loco for their doggo? I sent reporter Miles Martignoni to Prince Alfred Park to find out. Hey, this is Queen Bee. She's like a staffy rescue. Uh, her name is Naomi. Um, they're both poodle crosses. So one's a labradoodle and one's a schnoodle. So we have Mr. Patrick Mustard, which is the orange one, and Archie, um, which is the little white one. I've had dogs. I've always had dogs. Yeah, can't really live without dogs. What do What do you think dogs give you? Um, love, actually, and uh, a reason to get out and companionship and they're funny and uh, yeah they're just great animals she loves swimming she loves kayaking she loves kayaking yeah so she get on the kayak yes yes she sits on the front what do you think having a dog changes in your life i think it puts a discipline in there you have to care for them you have to walk them um, they certainly react when you give them a lot of love and attention and they certainly react badly when they're left to their own devices. This is Lily. She's a uh, Hungarian Vizsla. She's um, 10 years old. Yeah, what do you like about taking her out to the park, especially in Offleash Park? Well, it gives her freedom to sort of be, well, to do what she was just doing then, you know, rolling around, rubbing her back, sniffing, meeting other dogs um, without... I think when they're on leads, it's really hard for dogs to meet and just be dogs. Um, and I think they tend to bark probably at each other more that way. Um, I think the city of Sydney is fantastic for off-leash parks. It's just amazing, actually. And I think since we uh, moved here, what we have found is a lot of dogs are just so happy. Harley is a rescue greyhound. I got her about three years Ago. What does owning a dog do for you? Like, does it make your life better, do you think? Enormously better. I'm in my 60s now, and um, I picked a greyhound because they're a good dog for my time of life. I tend to be fairly sedentary, so um, she gets me out at least once a day for a walk, which is good for me as I'm ageing. Um, and what a uh, dog's good for... They love you unconditionally. They help you exercise. I live alone. They're fantastic for somebody who doesn't live with other human beings. They're good for your mental, physical and psychological health. And what do you enjoy about taking her out to the park? Well, she runs sometimes and she's an ex-racer. So she, when she runs, she's extraordinarily beautiful, I think. There's a, a bit of a community about dog owners. You, I mean, there's people who bring their dogs to this park who I don't know their names. I've seen them here for years. We know each other's dogs', dogs names. It's, it's nice to have something that automatically can, connects you with other people in your community, even if it's just by a smile.
Hi, my name's Michelle O'Brien. I'm the Companion Animals Liaison Officer for the City of Sydney Council. So I met a lot of different types of dogs at Prince Alfred Park. You've got the stats, you've got all the information. Can you, how many dogs are in the City of Sydney area? Okay, we've got 22,439 dogs. 22,000 dogs. Did yeah. you, when you started this job, did you ever imagine there'd be that many dogs here? No. I mean, I've, I've been working in the animal industry for a very long time, about 20 years. Uh, you know, over the years, it's just dog ownership has just grown. The breeds have changed. Um, ownership, uh, like the role that the pet or the dog plays in a family has changed o- over probably the last 10 years. They are very much considered a member of the family. Tell me, what are the most popular dogs in the area? Okay, so I've got the top five in the City of Sydney's local government area. And number one is the Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Can you tell me a little bit about the Staffy? Staffies, uh, they were originally bred for fighting and for bull, uh, lion and some other type of baiting to bring animals down. So they're very, um, they're very loyal dogs. They're very fearless very confident and very, very playful. Like they're very in-your-face staffies. So they can sometimes come across as being unsocial or a bit scary to people that don't really know the breed. And they can be very strong when they play with other dogs. So they can often get a bad name for being too rough or attacking other dogs. But, you know, if you socialise any dog at a young age and they're brought up in the right environment, then you shouldn't have any problems with them being antisocial. All right, what's number two? Number two is the Maltese Terrier. (laughs) <laughs> which is your, your classic lap dog, um, very good for apartments. Um, they have to be groomed, so every six weeks they have to go in and, and be groomed So unless you know the owner uh, brushes them and, and cares for them themselves. But generally they will go in for a groom and you know that's where you get the people who compare groomers and you know like to have the whatever the classic Maltese Terrier groom would be. And what's sitting at number three? Jack Russell Terrier. Now, they are very active dogs, very, very active small dogs, great for families that are very active. Um, They were bred for, um, like, digging holes and and catching rats. So that was what they were originally bred for. So you can probably expect them to be diggers. (laughs) Now, next is the poodle. But I see a lot of poodle crosses as well. Like, uh, what, what, what makes a poodle so popular? And what about all these different crosses that you see whenever you go to the park? The poodles are very popular because they don't shed. So they're a hypoallergenic type dog. So if you have children that are allergic to you know, dog hair, um, if you're allergic to dog hair or if you're just a person who does not like to clean up after a dog, I own a Labrador. They are one of the worst shedders on the planet. That, that would be the type of dog um, that, that you would go for if you're that type of person. And I think the crossbreeds came about... Oh, Going back 15 years now, I think the first crossbreed was the Labradoodle, so Labrador cross poodle. And from there, it just, I guess, um, they wanted a smaller version. So then they crossed the Cavalier and then they crossed the Schnauzer and then they crossed Maltese. So you've got a combination of different types of oodles that are now quite popular. So the last one's a pretty cute dog, a very tiny dog. What, what is it? The Pomeranian yes um they are again are a little lap dog very cute um some people have them groomed some don't they just brush them a lot they can be quite furry but they can get quite hot in summer 
Um, and, you know, they can be a bit barky at times and, and protective of their owners or a bit nervous around bigger dogs. Um, don't know why that is. I'm not really sure of the background of, of the Pomeranian and what they were bred for. My guess is companionship, but I could be wrong. A lot of people talk about it's nice having a dog at home because it's, it gives them a feeling of company, of, of being with someone. Do you think dogs actually make people feel better every day, even when it doesn't come to exercise? Absolutely. I have a dog and I love going home to her. She makes me so happy. The unconditional love that she provides is, I mean, yeah, you can't put a price on that. It's amazing. And it's not just, um, with, with dogs also, it's, it's not just about the families, like living with someone. I know people and my parents do this. My dog is their grandchild. So if I'm busy, if I'm doing a 12-hour day, I will worry about her being at home alone and I'll feel like a bad pet owner if I leave her there the whole day. So I will drop her to my parents and they will babysit her for the day. And I've met people in the parks when I'm visiting them doing park patrols who are grandparents caring for the dog while their you know, daughter's at work for the day. So yeah, they play a significant role in the family, the extended family, and even I've heard of people who... Um, in the Zetland area where there's a lot of apartments and dogs live in apartments, um, you know, other dog owners do um, play dates for the day and they care for each other's dogs while one person goes to work and so that the dogs have company and they're not left alone all day, which I think is amazing. I think it says a, a lot about dogs and the impact that they have on humans. You couldn't have picked a better year to go nuts over your favourite dog. 2018 is the Lunar New Year of the dog. You might have also heard it called Chinese New Year. Claudia Chan Shaw is the curator of the Sydney Chinese New Year Festival. Her dog Spartacus is a Basenji, and she tells us how her love for him is influencing how she's curating the festival. She spoke to reporter Jake Morecambe. Being the owner of a dog named Spartacus... Um, who is who's not like a Spartacus at all. It's the unconditional love, first of all. I mean, so you come home and someone's looking at you with those adoring eyes and all they want to be is part of your universe and they nudge you for attention. It's, it's all about them, but it's all about you as well. So you get a lot back from a dog. They are incredibly cute. I mean, just look at Instagram. We've got the dogs of Instagram everywhere. People love dogs. And, you know, they don't call it man or person's best friend for nothing. So there's an amazing bond between this creature that has been domesticated for thousands of years and human beings, you know, so they're, they're your little mate, they're your best friend, they're your baby, they're your fur child. So they're, they're very important. And tell me about the origins of the name Spartacus. And who is Spartacus? How would you describe them? Who is Spartacus? Spartacus is a Bazenji. And a Bazenji is the barkless African hound. And uh, they haven't been messed with. They're just born that way. They haven't, haven't had, you know, nothing's been docked. They just don't have the facility to bark, which doesn't mean that they're mute because they, he's got a terrible howl. I saw this from the back of the throat. <laughs> terrible noise. Um, and he can whimper and cry, but he just doesn't bark. So the thing that was attractive was he's, he's smallish. He's not like Chihuahua small. He's, he's um, I don't know, about um, up to your knee. Um, very slim and elegant with long skinny legs, big show-off, and characteristically not terribly dog-like in that he doesn't smell, he doesn't bark, and he bathes himself like a cat, fastidiously clean and a little bit aloof. So sometimes he'll come to the door and go, hi, mum, and other times it's, oh, it's you. Spartacus and going into something like 
Chinese New Year, the festival, curating that. Do you take any of what is your relationship with Spartacus and apply, I guess, that undying affection or, or that nature of the dog into the festivities? And if so, how do you do that? It's coming through very nicely now while we're planning the performances for the Chinese New Year Festival. So we have a team of professional dancers um, in addition to the community performances. And uh, we've got these wonderful um, uh, contemporary choreographed pieces that have characteristics of the dog. And the costuming is also very doggy. So in communicating with our beautiful choreographer um, and also putting the music together, it's all about what are the characteristics of a dog? What's the dog doing? Um, can you present that in your choreography so that when people come and see, you know, this this person looking like a dog and behaving like a dog, is that coming through? So it's coming through in the performances and also with the Lunar Lanterns, the hero dog is giant. He's about eight metres high. And we, we want him to have doggy characteristics in a lantern. So that's the challenge for the artist to bring those characteristics out. Is he... Is he playful? Does he have do doggy things? Where, like, how do you decide amongst Noah's Ark who's who's going to be an animal in the zodiac? Many thousands of years ago, <laughs> I, I think it was that um, that let's just call him the great god. Like, I don't know what his name was, but, but he sat down. All of these animals sat around him, and the animals that came were the twelve animals of the Chinese zodiac. So you've got the the the, uh, the pig, the rat, the ox, the monkey, the rabbit, the horse, rooster, snake, and the sheep. So they all gathered around. And um, the story goes for the order of the animals, that um, they all came to him in a particular order. And um, the pig was last because he was lazy and slow. So he's the last animal in the zodiac. And the first animal of the zodiac is the rat because he pushed everybody out of the way and ran over the backs of them to get to the first position um, that sort of established the order. So cheeky and, and, and cunning came first and the slow and fat and <laughs> dopey became last, even though pigs are very smart. And so the dog kind of fits somewhere in the middle, excited to run to the end of the finish line, but probably gets distracted by a tennis ball while along exactly, the way. Exactly. Hey, hey, what, can we play now? Can we play? <laughs> so doggy, uh, it's year of the pig next year, uh, the year after rather. So the doggy's second last, I think. Mm. Yeah, so he was distracted along the way. He's probably helping the pig going, come on, mate, come on, I'll play with you. <laughs> we already met one working dog, but let's talk about some of the hardest working dogs in the country. If you want to go shopping or if you want to go and, go and participate in a community event, you've got the ability to, to get on public transport and to find your way through, whereas without a guide dog, many people are reliant on waiting for others to come and take them, and that's a very disempowering position to be in. Jackie has been using guide dogs for more than 20 years, and her current guide dog, Ms Nancy, has completely changed her life. I um, was born very prematurely with my twin sister and never had any sight in my left eye. And then I had an accident when I was about 16 and lost some more sight in my working eye, uh, which meant I didn't have the confidence to get to and from school at the time um, safely um, and independently. So I ran guide dogs and I originally trained with a white cane, but being a teenager, white canes, from my experience, wasn't quite as approachable and didn't problem solve as much as a guide dog does. So I was very fortunate to get my first guide dog who came to school um, and I've had since had four other guide dogs. I'm now on number five um, and I'm 
absolutely life-changing. Guide dogs have been operating in Australia for over 100 years, but um, initially it happened after primary. Well, it, it took um, took off really after World War II, where a lot of people lost their sight um, in battle. Um, and it started in Germany and was then picked up in um, the UK and the US, and it's grown from there. It's quite a large international movement. My, gu- my current guide dog, Miss Nancy... Um, <laughs> She's lovely. She's um, a very smart little girl. She just turned five a few weeks ago. Um, and she, she likes a challenge, but she can be sometimes be particular. She's not an early riser. So uh, early morning travel and early morning flights, she can be a little bit um, hesitant. And, and a, a few treats goes a long way in encouraging her out the front door. Um, but like all guide dogs, um, she relishes a challenge. She loves to be able to... Um, find her way through a crowd to to locate a shop counter. I like to say that um, these days with technology, with um, my iPhone and my GPS app and my guide dog, I can pretty much go anywhere. My talking GPS will tell me how to get somewhere and, and with Nancy with me and with my guide dog, she will avoid any obstacles in our way and um, we get there quite efficiently and Certainly it's, it's, it's an enjoyable experience, which is, I found it to be much more stressful when I was using a white cane instead of a guide dog, because a cane would locate an obstacle, but it wouldn't find a way around it. Whereas working with a guide dog, it's a smooth process. What does, with Miss Nancy, what does your, what does your companionship with her feel like to you? It's, it's quite hard to explain. It's sort of like having a best friend who's always there, incredibly reliable, um, no matter where I am, and, and you can get totally turned around and not have a clue where you are. I can tell her to find a way through or locate a specific counter or doorway, and she'll figure it out. On my own, I may not have an idea. So it's essentially having really reliable backup. There's nothing like... Well, personally, I think there's nothing like watching a, a brilliant guide dog um, navigate busy, busy city streets and crowds and, and sometimes mazes of construction. Um, it's, it's great. Well, it's brilliant to experience, but I think it's also quite, quite good to watch and people observe that and they see what these dogs bring as far as their skills. And I know of, I know of certain dogs where, you know, the handler will say, find coffee. And because of the scent of coffee, yeah. they'll find the nearest coffee shop. So wow. that's not a skill that they're taught at, taught at guide dog school, but it's something they've picked up as far as their handler's preference. Um, and it's just brilliant. And a guide dog, when it's off duty, when it's off harness, is a pet. It needs R&R exercise and, and, and spaces to run and have fun just like any other dog. I would, I would say actually even more so sometimes because of the stressful jobs they lead. It's, what do we call it, work-life balance? <laughs> um, so guide dogs need, need access to um, parks and preferably fence parks would be good um, and, and certainly sort of trees and shade and, and appropriate toileting areas would make everybody's life, pets and particularly working guide dogs, that much easier. Thanks for listening to Tales of Sydney. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode, we're going up into the sky and seeing what's there day and night. This podcast was created by City of Sydney and inspired by the Something Else is Alive exhibition at Customs House. 
Special thanks to the Curators Department, the National Maritime Museum, the City's Chinese New Year team and Guide Dogs New South Wales. If you want to find out more about anything you heard in the show, head to talesofsydneypodcast.com.